to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. And I'm Chris Heine. And this week, I'm going to let Chris tell you what is happening. Yeah, this week we are going to talk to Ava Kreikel and Nicholas Van Meerten. They are two of the founders of Glitch Gaming. It is a nonprofit based at the University of Minnesota, and they do all sorts of stuff with programming to promote gaming as a culture and also uh, as a creative practice. So they help people play and learn, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, as you guys have probably heard in past podcasts, we're involved in one of their upcoming endeavors, GlitchCon, which is happening here in March. Um, in fact, Boss Rush is our most recent call for art that just closed a little bit ago. All of the participating artists' names are probably going to be up there on the blog any minute now, if not uh, already there. Thanks to everybody who participated in that call for art. So... GlitchCon is a place where we're going to be showcasing a couple of those pieces of art in a crazier, more intense, more glorified manner than our normal exhibition space. We're giving a couple awards away. We're going to have some guest jurors come and and, uh, pick some pieces, and those pieces will be awarded at GlitchCon March 28th through the 30th. Cool. Yeah. And I talk with Ava and Nick all about all the things they do at Glitch, which is a bunch of different things, as you'll see. Um, They got a lot of things going on, and we talk about all of their different programs, how they help people get into the industry and get people excited about games, and also just about what it takes to run all of these massive events. This is part of our several part series. We have been in the game zone for, I don't know, I mean, of course, we're always in the game zone, but we're busy building uh, the second installment of the Great Personality Dating Sim series based on the Myers-Briggs personality types. The Idealist is coming out very, very soon. And since we've got our brains stuck in the game zone, we thought you guys might really enjoy hearing from people that are also doing this not only as a creative practice, but as a as a possible living. So without further ado, we're going to hear from Ava and Nicholas from Glitch. I'm Nick Van Meerten from Glitch Gaming. Uh, I'm currently the director of interactive tech, but don't really do much interactive tech anymore. It's more <laughs> financing and management of grants, stuff like that. And I was also a co-founder during my undergraduate at the U. Hi, uh, my name is Ava Kreikel, and I'm the executive director for Glitch. Pretty much my role at Glitch, oh, and I'm also a co-founder, but um, <laughs> my role at Glitch is basically to uh, kind of create a vision for the for the organization, and also work on um, all of our programs with all of the uh, directors. Can you tell me a little bit about what Glitch is, for anybody who doesn't know? So Glitch is basically a nonprofit that helps promote video game culture, um, or actually video games as a culture, career, and creative practice. Um, We primarily function at the University of Minnesota, and all of our programs are specifically kind of tailored towards student development. Right now, we just, the biggest issue that we kind of identified is that um, there's just this kind of gap between um, students and the greater community. So we're kind of trying to fill that gap with education um, of the students and getting them involved with programming and getting them to learn about games and what on earth there is to offer within games because there's like odd end jobs that, you know, a lot of people don't even know about in games. Um, And then connecting them with kind of like the greater community, um, the greater industry, and getting them connected. Cool. And when you say greater industry, you're talking about the greater gaming uh, industry as a job industry. Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So like oddball jobs like researchers at a video game company or just being a writer even. Like how do you you apply to be a writer at a video game company? Um, 
things like that, where it's not just the programmer or the developer that gets the jobs at video game companies. What do you consider like what you do on a day-to-day basis? We do a ton of different types of workshops. Um, We get students connected with local mentors as well. So um, I think... I don't know if he's on another podcast, but uh, I connected Charles McGregor, uh, who works on um, something called Glitch in the System, and he also recently uh, worked on Fingence. But he was trying to get his game on a bunch of different platforms, and um, David Washington was someone who I had introduced him to um, to help out with the Windows portion of that. Oh, yeah, And cool. that was really cool. We um, talked to him last week, actually. So. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's kind of... Uh, like basically the the programming that we offer plus some mentorships and also kind of one-on-one things and in addition to all of those oops large scale events all of the large scale events that we do um to get them kind of more involved and get their creative juices flowing i guess yeah we've got other speakers out that kind of introduce students to these other other career paths or other opportunities as well like last year we had Mike Ambender from Valve out who does a lot of their like player behavior research um and he kind of showed students that he went a very non-traditional route where he went to graduate school for like visual psychology or something along those lines and then went into basically he went to GDC and just tried to find a job there because <laughs> he wanted to work in games. Yeah, that was actually really funny because I, I remember there were probably like 30 or 40 students and he was telling the story of how he got his job at Valve because it wasn't actually available. And he was walking around GDC and trying to convince people like that they should hire him as a researcher to hmm. um, learn about their games. And, and you, you say it's not available. Does that mean it didn't exist? It didn't exist okay, at the right time. Now. Yeah. So he was saying you should like have this you should position. have me. Yeah. Like <laughs> you should have this position and it should be me. Um, so he was kind of telling students like this very specific story that probably only applies to you know a relatively small amount of people who knows um but it's kind of nice to just at least have students feel a little bit more connected especially since we're so far away from what i feel is like the epicenters of where games kind of exist um uh since most of them are on kind of like the the coasts Mm -hmm. um west coast primarily and popping up a little bit more on the east coast at least but just kind of like midwest is yeah, Midwest is Midwest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Texas. Texas is huge yeah. for some reason. Yeah, um, because it is big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe we should... Well, why don't you tell me about the history of Glitch? Like, where did Glitch come from? Did you guys just decide one day to start this kind of organization? Were you guys, you know, researching video games or just interested in video games? Or how did Glitch come around? Uh, we started in 2009 as a student group at the U of M, um, and there were like five of us, like five five undergraduate students who um, co-founded the initial student group at the U. Uh, at the time, it had a very different name, which will not let's be Let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's just not. Let's ignore that um, name existed. Uh, and, <laughs> I kind of want to know more if you would have just not, not named it. Okay. <laughs> such an awful name we should have never gone to that you could google it we're not gonna say it yeah you could find you could find the old website too if you really dug okay <laughs> well that's that's a game for our listeners yes there go find our old name um <laughs> but we started off very play focused we were trying to develop like a community of people who just enjoyed games um 
and we're like-minded to yeah. us too like we were both interested in pursuing games as a potential career mm-hmm. um but there were just no outlets on campus at all um i mean there was kind of like another uh group that just kind of existed um that we kind of went to just another student group and it just it felt very strange to walk into a room where, you know, people weren't welcoming you or the lights are turned off and everyone's still staring at their computer because mm-hmm. we wanted something very different to that. Like we wanted to meet people who were, again, very similar to us, but also since it wasn't there, we were like, maybe we should just build it. So we kind of did. <laughs> yeah. And you had the vision beyond that. That was my goal initially. It's just to build this community. And you had kind of more grand vision for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for a while it existed purely as sort of a social meetup welcoming group that you could just mm-hmm. go and play video games. And did you guys do that in like someone's dorm room or did uh, it was always center or something? in like classrooms on campus that were kind of like the more like high tech classrooms that have plasmas on the walls for mm-hmm. no reason. Hey, there's a reason. Yeah. There's for a us very to good reason. <laughs> <laughs> to play Smash Brothers on. Student dollars well spent. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Like we, the, at least the plan was really to just start a bunch of different play events to just generally gauge interest just because we had no clue if there were other people who were interested or not. And the, the play stuff was really like, Hey, come out and play. How many of you actually play games? What is the demographic like here in Minnesota? There's 53 or 54,000 students every single semester. There has to be people that are like us. There has to be people that want to do, you know, the same things that we're doing. Um, so the play thing was just very, very easy to kind of gauge interest and get to meet other people who were at least right away interested in games. And we felt like that was a pretty good, you know, model to try to find people. And it turned out pretty well. Um, so we uh, continued just, you know, hosting more events and getting more momentum. Um, and I guess that's, that's... That's where it came from. Yeah. yeah. And then our first sponsor kind of accelerated everything um, by giving us more funding um, and more creativity and ability to do the things that we really wanted to do, like, you know, more workshops and more panels. So did you have that vision beforehand? And you were kind of like, let's start this group let's judge momentum or judge interest and then take that in this other direction where it's more about like learning and and connections than it is about playing games or or was that something where once you had the audience you were kind of like look at all these people maybe we could expand and and you know grow in this other direction i think part of it was that a lot of students although they enjoyed games they saw no future in it and that was part of the motivation for us like going this kind of more educational career-driven route where we provide students with these other opportunities as well so that it wasn't just play because we didn't want them to feel like they couldn't embrace like their passion and their hobby. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, there were a lot of students that I had specifically talked to. I, I try to talk to everyone and get to know them and get to know what they were interested in. And a few of them were um, super interested in working in games. Um, And that's the stuff that got me the most excited was like, oh my gosh, there are other people who are very interested in in making this something that's, you know, a career. But the same story that I kept hearing was, I like games. (laughs) And I uh, also want to work with games, but I'm not a programmer. I'm not computer science. And I was like, what? Like, my mind was blown because, you know, as with any other industry, 
There's so much more than just, you know, programming for games. Um, there's so much more than just, you know, one facet of that goes into creating a game and there needs to be more people working on it. So it was kind of like this crazy shock to me that so many of these students thought that they had to be a specific person or a specific mold or a specific background to be working in games. So that's what kind of started, like, at least Glitch Ed, um, which is kind of like this educational series of workshops and um, kind of just quick interviews with people who are working in kind of these strange jobs within the games industry or at least uncommon jobs within the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's how we at least figured out how to tackle that aspect of it. Like, hey, there's more to this than just programming. And how long ago was that? How long ago did you kind of start working in workshops and things like that? Um, we started discussing it probably two years ago. And then um, we started launching more of that uh, like late last year and then this entire year we've been doing a lot of it. Cool. And let's talk about some of your events that you have besides just like the play events. You had mentioned the big one that you kick off the year each year was called Welcome Geek. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's called Welcome Geek because it's a play on words, actually. <laughs> um, it's a part of U- the University of Minnesota's Welcome Week festivities. Uh, okay. um, so it's not... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why it's called Welcome Geek. It's, we were just trying to be clever. I don't know if it worked or not. Did it work? <laughs> well, I did not. I have not gone to the University of Minnesota, so I didn't know okay. that it was called Welcome Week. But I thought it was a fine name. <laughs> Thank I you. I, um, <laughs> I thought you were just trying to be really clear that, like, Welcome Geeks, you have a home. Come on in. So it works out. Yeah. It kind of yeah. works out. Uh, but yeah, so basically it's part of, like, the Welcome Week festivities. It's it's really focused around play because I know although we've been doing a lot more work shops and a lot more panels and such and um we want to make sure that it's still like play is still a big part of all of our programming because i mean yeah, everyone's games. there because yeah. everyone loves games yeah. so That's we're a trying great to way find to meet a- people at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year um and feel like you you kind of belong to this community or it's mm-hmm. a place that you can you can kind of go to at the university because it's so big like you want to find that community when you first get there yeah. instead of like looking around. So we try to get a lot of freshmen out to that event every year. Yeah. And the other aspect of that too is like to actually include indie devs, to include um, the greater community, to include like student groups mm-hmm. um, and other people that are involved with games um, so that students that are incoming are like, hey, there's so much stuff that has to do with games here. I just met that professor who teaches like some sort of video game class in journalism. I'm not journalism, but I'm totally going to do that class for one of my mm-hmm. uh, like requirements. Um, or, you know, a couple of, I, I think this past year, uh, both Ben Hansen and Tim Turry came out from Game Informer and um, they were just people. chatting and playing games with people. Um, there were, uh, like the video game development club came out and showed a lot of the games that they were making. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really fun time to meet other people who are doing something cool with games locally. And, um, it's basically like the fir- the beginning of the year carnival where we're like, this stuff exists. Go find something you're interested in. That's awesome. Is it kind of like one of those events where people are walking around looking for something to do and they just sort of stumble across it? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. Like not stumble across it. Um, It's a registration type of thing. So people can register for it. But we advertise pretty heavily at the beginning of the year. Um, And also during like uh, Mariucci, like the Mariucci event. Fairs and such. Yeah. So we do that a lot at the beginning of the year. So there are a lot of freshmen that specifically come out and also other people from the community. But... 
yeah, it's it's a really fun event. It's like super high energy. It's mm-hmm. it's a welcoming event, and it's just this it's a huge way to get carnival. To know about us and involved, yeah. Yeah, and to get them involved with other people too. Um, like Jan has the digital arts studios group, which is like specifically doing digital arts, mm-hmm. and a lot of the students that are in that group. Um, are very, very interested in like creating some sort of artwork for games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we do a lot with um, student groups on campus and such too. All right, so that one is more about playing games, but your next one is, well, maybe it's not your next one, but I'm going to talk about game, GameCraft, which is an upcoming event where it's all about making games. And it's it's a very different event from Welcome Geek. So do you want to talk about what GameCraft is? Yeah, so GameCraft is basically a part of the global game jam where people get together for 48 hours and basically just make a game in small teams of like four to six people um and it's we try to get a wide variety of people out to that from like local hobbyist game designers to people um that are doing writing for games people that want to do artwork for games um, to create a little bit more like diverse teams, so it's not just a bunch of programmers writing games, creating yeah. the artwork for them, even yeah, though they're programmers. The too. I yeah. mean, that happens all the time. But I mean, we're partnering with IGDA for this one, so they're also helping to organize the teams. We're also partnering with VRDL, the Virtual Reality Design Lab, to get the space in Rapson Hall. So it's a giant courtyard, so everybody will be together developing the games. Uh, they won't be in like separate rooms, kind of closed off from each other. So it should be a pretty fun time overall. I mean, that's a super ambitious project, bringing together, would you say, 70 people, 80 people, possibly? Yeah, we have 100 total seats. We're at like a week and some out be- like between now and registration closing um and there are uh like 60 something people registered but yeah so we just got out of this huge conversation about team formation we we kind of saved this for last because we knew that all of the other aspects of creating this kind of huge event um was pretty simple in comparison to figuring out how people are going to get to know each other get to know what type of skills everyone else has and to actually you know meet each other to to make this game so how are people actually going to to make these teams (laughs) so it was kind of this like hour and a half discussion of okay well what do we do like usually with other game jams people will pitch um they pitch their ideas Mm -hmm. and uh, that's how you kind of do icebreakers um Someone says, like, I want to make a cookie clicker clone. And someone else is like, what I want to do, you know, a a platformer. And we're going to use, you know. It turns out just being a way to hype people up, too, for the jam. Yeah, and I think it helps, like, show, uh, or it helps people kind of get their creative thinking caps on, like, be imaginative and and be brainstorming. Um, But how do you do that with like a hundred people? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That would be like a zoo (laughs) and everyone's just yelling. Um, So we ended up talking about how we were going to break people off um, and uh, basically uh, have people be pitching in specific groups and at least like dealing with the idea of um, people having like different skill sets and X amount of years of experience. We were thinking about just doing different badges so that people could kind of see like, Oh, I see an audio person there and we still don't have an audio person. (laughs) So they can like run over and be like, yeah, this is, we are doing this. Do you want to do it with us? Um, but at least like with the pitching teams, um, 
or groups or whatever. Yeah, pitching groups. This There's a long story behind not calling them teams and groups. Sorry, I'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, but which all, with all of these pitching clusters... <laughs> That sounds so dumb. Yeah, so clusters, so. <laughs> With all of these pitching clusters, uh, people are basically able to pitch and uh, talk about these ideas. And then um, we're basically going back into like the huge group and auditorium and all of the uh, team leaders will just give like a really quick, hey, this is what our team talked about. There were some specific people that wanted to do freelance, so go talk to them. And then there's like this huge mixer after that really quick, you know, auditorium um, announcement of like hey here's what all the teams did and then everyone is served drinks not alcoholic ones maybe orange juice or something um (laughs) but there are still students um (laughs) are served drinks and then uh able to just talk to each other um so yeah we figured that uh in this kind of gallery space people would talk and find each other and then they can finally move to the courtyard which is basically where uh people are going to be working on things and nick is going to be helping everyone set up Mm -hmm. um but yeah so we we finally figured out that we needed three distinct rooms so that people could kind of understand yeah. what they needed to do in each space. Yeah. Um, and also the reason that we don't call them teams or um, what was the other one? Groups was because we were worried that um, there was uh, Ryan Foss had brought up like, oh, well, I wanted to, you know, be on a team uh, to create a game with my friend, my best friend, Bill. And in my notes, it says my best friend, Bill (laughs) problem, like best friend, Bill problem. So whoever Bill is, hello, uh, we talked about you. Um, (laughs) But basically the issue was that Ryan wanted to be uh, working on a project with Bill. But what if he wasn't in the same uh, cluster as Bill during the pitching? So the, the issue is like, well, that doesn't really mean that you can't be on a team with Bill later on, later yeah. on after the clusters are kind of right. muddled together during the mixer. But it kind of gave everyone like the sense of feeling trapped by calling it a team. Like, right, oh, these are the you're 20- who you're stuck with for the rest. Yeah, of the that, it doesn't event. mean that's who you're stuck with. But these are just the clusters to pitch so that it makes things go a little bit faster. Um, so we ended up saying like, OK, um, let's let's just do these clusters and then everyone ends up, you know, getting called or getting called something like originally it was apples, oranges and bananas. Like okay, you're yeah, an apple, you're a banana. Suggestion. Yeah, this was <laughs> we're going to do something probably more game related. But it was like apples, oranges and bananas. Like you're an orange, you're a banana and you're an apple. And at registration, you're just assigned one. Right. <laughs> and at random ish, random ish. We wanted to make sure that there were the same like at least equal amounts of different types of roles in each of the groups so that maybe like if your best friend bill is in a different group and you know he or he he or she i don't know bill could be a girl he or she could be like hey i found this really great artist that i think would work really well with our team and then ryan could be like yeah and i found this great sound designer um maybe let's just have let's bring them together during the mixer and we can talk so that that was like the theory behind all of it and i think it's actually going to be really exciting and super fun um Mm -hmm. and it helps like give some clarity as to um how people are going to pitch how people are going to generate ideas meet others and then also just go over and finally start creating something so is it up to the people to create something on their own like what is the outcome of the project is it 
one ultimate game or is it multiple smaller games or is it just up to everyone to figure that out it's up to so each team at the end hopefully produces a game and they upload that to the global game jam site and then like a month afterwards we all go back and play them together to see what everybody was able to produce okay so in the end your expectations are multiple playable finished quote-unquote finished games. quote-unquote quote unquote finished, finished. Yeah. That, that's like the asterisk right there we need to make sure that playable like, is a good word yeah right now. yeah <laughs> um but the idea is that like global like since it's a it's an event uh, gamecraft is basically a partnership event with igda vrdl and global game jam Mm -hmm. like global game jam is um like they have their own website and then they also have a theme for every year and then they have some diversifiers so it kind of helps people kind of at least think about how their pitches or how their games are going to fit into those or gives them some scope yeah Yeah. gives them some scope for the uh, creation of the game wow well it's really Exciting and slightly terrifying, putting all these people in together and seeing how they're going to work together. But I it mean, should be fun. <laughs> no, I mean, IGDA had a lot of insight because they've run them previous years by themselves. So they had ideas about like how many people you can have like pitching to each other efficiently. Yeah, because right. they said last year or like two years ago they had 20-something people. And then... Um, the pitching was just full, full people, like full group. That wasn't mm-hmm. a problem. And then, uh, in their third year, it was like, "Whoa, forty people is too much." Right. So then, eventually, we, there's too too many too many voices yeah. for the amount of time allotted. So, um, I know, like Zach Johnson said that the first thing that he wanted was just to break to people break up. people up yeah. because that was going to be the the biggest issue. Um, and we had enough organizers that we could have team leaders that will be like the oranges like i'm in charge of the oranges you know Mm -hmm. um and x amount of people are in charge of the bananas and apples (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it might be or whatever it might be (laughs) yeah and that happens in two weeks so it it starts next friday on the 23rd of january Mm -hmm. and it runs till the 25th so sunday at like 5 p.m and, and will these up? be like available somewhere eventually to play for anyone not involved in the event? Yeah, or? so they're available on the Global Game Jam site. And then I think um, we'll probably partner up again with IGDA and VRDL to host some sort of like play play event um, for all of these games somewhere on campus or close to campus at least. So that other people that may have not gone to the event can actually go in and play all of the games that were made at the event. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And the people involved, are they ranging? A lot of them, obviously, are students who come from, like, the glitch side. But does it range all the way up to, like, industry people or kind of, like, like what is the skill set of the people coming? Is it it's really it's diverse? It's pretty yeah. diverse. And that's why we wanted to make sure that somehow in the badges and during the registration, we tell people, like, how many years of experience every person has had. Because um, I think there are there's like one sound design person that I know that has never made um, like music for games, but he is a, a musician and makes music, mm-hmm. um, and was very interested in you know like just coming and and joining a team and trying to figure some stuff out. Um, so that that is interesting in of itself because he's never made a game, but he makes music. Yeah. And then there are students that maybe have worked on like projects on their own, and they're coming out to join a team. 
um, and kind of just winging it there as well, where there um, are probably some other people that I remember during registration, like, oh, wow, you know, these people are actually pretty, like, pretty experienced. So this is going to be very interesting to see how, you know, they they kind of self-select. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're going to give them as much information as possible and they're going to go with it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a good amount of people that have persis- participated in previous global game jams that so they mm-hmm. have an edge as well, like understanding how to scope the project for mm-hmm. 48 hours. Yeah. And, yeah, and some people actually even, I know um, Zach Johnson had said that he had done a game on his own for two years. So I don't At know. That's, game jam? Yeah. So jam, technically, if someone was kind of like a solo person, they could totally come in and work on a game by themselves and maybe like, you know, grab a sound designer or an artist when needed mm-hmm. um, and be like, hey, are you interested in doing this? I just need, you know, five sprites. Yeah. And, some freelancers <laughs> and that's it. Well. Yeah. So yeah. freelancers. I think it's a really incredible opportunity to meet and work with so many different people. And I would be surprised if career long bonds, I guess, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if there aren't a few uh, collaborative projects outside yeah. of this that are inspired by it, but it's also kind of like a trial by fire for anyone, which I think was what video games are. Video games inherently are really difficult to make. And I think even people at giant companies say like, it's amazing video games ever ship because finishing a video game is hard. So putting that 48-hour deadline on it is a really good way to get a lot of experience and actually come out with a product, even if it's not a polished, glossy, you know, Blizzard-like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, a Blizzard game in 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? It's like... Uh, it's a really good... Having that deadline is like the most important part of this event, I think, because otherwise nothing would probably ever get finished. It would sprawl and sprawl, <laughs> sprawl yeah. and eventually everyone would kind of just fall off the project. So yeah. I, think it's a really I know good like one of our big goals and also like VRDLs as well too is um, basically to create essentially like more opportunities and potentially studios or jobs um, for games here in Minnesota. And we were hoping that um, basically investing in some of these large-scale events and investing in the community, something will come out of it. Like getting them together, getting them to know each other, and maybe we'll see a couple of success stories too. Like, hey, I worked on this game at GameCraft, and we really like the game, so we're going to continue doing something with it. Um, I think it kind of creates this really interesting and unique opportunity for people to just get together, work on something, and potentially have something special. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. And then, well, getting people together is like a theme, obviously, that runs through all of your work. But (laughs) the next one I want to talk about is GlitchCon, which is getting people together for a different reason besides working for 48 hours. This one is more (laughs) like, I I mean, you can tell me a little bit about GlitchCon. So GlitchCon is a two-day event this year in March, on March 28th and 29th. It's essentially like a large convention. There will be workshops, panels... It's dedicated like to a conference convention. That's why yeah. we've been going with like festival. It's a festival. It's a festival. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a carnival. You could just say that the con is ambiguous. Like yeah. Conf- uh, con- con- conversation. <laughs> conversation. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of like formal workshops and panels that people can attend. Um, and there's also a lot of informal things like there will be board games brought out from Fantasy Flight so people can just play in those. Uh, there will be also some 
like small casual tournaments hosted. Oh yeah, and um, the guys from Mead Hall are doing Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also like two keynote speakers, James Portnow, who uh, worked on extra credits and is also a professor at DigiPen, um, and Ashley Birch, who's awesome. Um, <laughs> and she is the voice actress for, gosh, a lot of things. Yes, she's Tiny Tina in Borderlands. And then she also does nonprofit work with Take This, which is a nonprofit that helps provide aid for uh, people within the video games community who have uh, mental health, like mental health issues and such. I don't know. Yeah. It's and the overall super theme cool. of the event is just why games matter. This so year. All, yeah, yeah. So all these workshops and panels and all the discussions that take place are kind of around that that theme. So, so the the visitors who are participating are going to be attending panels. So, it, so it is like kind mm-hmm. of a a lot about learning as well. It's yeah, not, it's basically half and half. The way that we designed all of our programming, <laughs> we had this huge discussion. I think like a year and a half ago or two years. Gosh, I don't remember. Um, but the the progression of what we do throughout the year. We had this discussion about how we wanted all of our programming to, to basically be pretty balanced, where there's a good balance of play and learning and also exploration. So early on in the year, it's obviously very much so about play. We want people to play. We want people to feel comfortable getting to know everyone else before you know jumping into making a game with them. Um, and then GameCraft, again, is all about basically, in my opinion, like networking and also working on projects directly with people and um, creating something really special, which is a game, a game, yeah, um, at the end of it all. And then GlitchCon is kind of a mixture between the two. That's kind of at least how we've we've envisioned the year going. And that's why we do the three events, um, because obviously like with other conferences and conventions um you do that same thing where you know you go to a couple of panels that you're specifically interested in you go meet people um then you go to after parties and and then you socialize um and that's how you really truly build relationships um so that's kind of how you know through all of our discussions like this is how we want to tackle um, building our community and um, getting people connected and getting them um, not only experience, but just relationship building. I think it's going to be really cool. So you have the organized play for the board games. You have the talks and panels. You have the keynotes. You also have the art show, mm-hmm. yeah. which we're helping with, <laughs> which I think we've talked about on the podcast <laughs> before, but we're doing the Boss Rush art show. And you also are doing Minicade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Minicade, can you explain that really quickly? So it's essentially an exhibition of locally made and student-developed games where people will just be showing off their games for how long is it? It's um, actually just one day, but the way that we divided the event is it, there are morning sessions and afternoon sessions. It's yeah. 11, 11 till 1. I don't yeah, remember. Visit our website no, at glitchcon.mn. It's um, 11 to 1. It would be 11 to 1. <laughs> yeah, so it's 11 to 1, and then, well, let's assume it's 11 to 1, and then... <laughs> there's a lunch and then it opens back up from three to five i'm just super excited about it because we also have some scholarship tables as well Mm. there are a couple of tables that are specifically uh, reserved for students because students are something that we definitely focus on and it's a part of one of our goals so we're super excited and pumped about that because there's the award ceremony for it afterwards too that's a giant 
undertaking. I mean, it, there's a lot of facets going on all at once. How do you guys even plan something like that? Where do you start? The start theme? eight months in advance. Yeah, you started on it. <laughs> I June, started in yeah. like August. Yeah, we, we start really early. We start with what on earth do we want to do this year for theme? And then we kind of work off of that and basically start pulling in people like, hey, building ideas like this is what we do every single year. Here are pictures here. Here's kind of like the demographic. Here's how many people get involved. This is the theme this year. And we think you'd be a really great fit. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to (laughs) do? So we basically just provide the skeleton and the structure. And then we ask people like how they want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And then we ask them to basically send us like really quick pitches um, and a general outline for the budget. And uh, we go from there and pick like the coolest stuff. (laughs) You plan it out as well as you can. Mm -hmm. And then on the day of, it's always stressful. Yeah. Well, how many, how many people do you have? Yeah, I mean, there's you two, obviously, but there's more people in Glitch than you two. So yeah. you guys all have like a whole team kind of working on this. And- yeah. So there are six of us on staff. Um, I am the only person on time. Everyone else is part time. And then um, we also have a ton of like 12 student volunteers. Um, so it like all the work pretty much gets distributed across all of the different types of things. Um, everyone has kind of a specific role that they play. Um, so for example, like if we need a specific, maybe like video production or something like that, that specifically goes to someone, um, or like technology. If it's like the website, sometimes that is on Nick. Financing is all on Nick. <laughs> Cause I was bad at that. <laughs> I was real bad at that. <laughs> you just hated it. <laughs> not that you're bad at it necessarily it, it hindered my progress <laughs> it hindered your life in general uh so so that's kind of at least how it starts where where we have a general idea of what we want um what the location is going to be how much we're going to have in the budget um how many rooms we can actually have and then we start filling in all of the uh spaces and and time slots basically with cool content so we, we, again, provide the skeleton and everyone else just provides the cool stuff. So we're like the boring people that gets everything <laughs> set up and then everyone else like brings all the flavor. <laughs> I see what you guys do and what we do as similar things because we're kind of the one who gets to sit at our desks in the basement all day and figure <laughs> everything out. And then the artists get to show off their wonderful artwork and we get to, we get to but enjoy it. it but yeah, yeah, but it feels like super, I don't know. I love the feeling of it because I feel like I am like this ringleader who gets to like work with all of these cool people. Cause like technically not everyone is working with everyone else. Okay. Tyler is working primarily on like sponsorships. He's not really working on light gray stuff, but I get to work with both of you. Yeah. And that's really cool. And, and it I takes can- those people because without it, it wouldn't happen. And that's why GlitchCon is kind of like an inspiring thing because it, it's happening and it, it's interesting just to kind of hear the backstory because outwardly it's just like everyone's having fun. Everyone's playing video games. <laughs> and video games and I think sometimes people see these events and they're just like, yeah, of course, everyone's going to get together and play video games. This year, since we started just doing sessions, um, sessions meaning every single uh, thing that you see, like every single uh, panel or every single, uh, I don't know, art gallery, (laughs) all of those have a different group of people or a different person running those. Since we started doing those like session specific, um, 
there's been more like cooks in the kitchen, I'd say. Um, every session, again, has like a specific leader and they were the ones who were involved with sending in a proposal, like conceptualizing what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. And I just basically was like, hey, I can help out with the budget there or help out with um, basically poking holes um, in proposals saying like, you know, that's going to be really hard to get you know, 50 people to do X, Y, or Z, or that's going to be really overburdened. Like that's too much work on the panelist or something. Yeah. Or you, know, you put them in contact with like people yeah. who can help them. Yeah. You know. So that, that's kind of my role because like I just get to poke holes a little bit and, and all of the creative stuff is all those session coordinators. I think this year there are a total of 25 session coordinators and I've worked with all, like every single one of them through the planning of all of it before we even announced it. And it was so fun because everyone had such different ideas on what they wanted to do. Um, all of them were extremely creative. Like, for heaven's sake, like Light Gray, I was like, oh, my gosh, you guys are want to do a lot. And that's freaking <laughs> awesome. Um, but then I was concerned for your sanity. And I remember saying that in like a, in a conversation. I was like, are you guys sure? And Lindsay was like, yeah, this sounds like so much fun. Yeah, that's kind of Lindsay's I can't thing. see any of you saying no to anything, though. <laughs> We have a hard time. I mean, it's it's a really awesome opportunity, so it's hard to not want to do it. We do that a lot. It's okay. <laughs> good. Yeah, and then then boss rush happened. So see see like stuff like that just happens because people are so passionate about you know whatever it is that they they're doing, mm-hmm. um, and it's just kind of cool to be a part of it and house some of these things in GlitchCon. Let's talk really quickly about your co op talks as well. So co op talks is I guess a non would you call it a flagship? Yeah, it's not a flagship event. Community event. Yeah, it's basically. a community event. So it's event. an ongoing thing. Instead yep. of being a once a year thing, you guys also have started co-op talks, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. And it is, again, a different facet. So it's not mm-hmm. making games and it's not playing games, but it's talking about games. Mm-hmm. I would call it a forum IRL. <laughs> <laughs> Without the trolls yet. 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 Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> so yeah. and hopefully never. But <laughs> well, what, what is co-op talks? We come up with a topic every month. Katie does like the research on the topic and posts it all online. And then we all get together at, it has been the Kitty Cat Club, and basically discuss that topic. I mean, one of them boiled down to Gamergate, basically, and we all like got to have kind of discussion about it. Right. Which was very constructive instead of just being destructive, which mm-hmm. it kind of comes down to online a lot. And it all helped us kind of understand the topic a little bit better. Yeah, there were some people that were there that didn't really know very much about um, what was going on with specifically like Gamergate. So it was very nice to have just a, a discussion um, amongst your peers about these hot button topics instead of just having like online conversations. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's striking about it. There's certain conversations that are fine to have online where you mm-hmm. might be like, what's your top 10 games? Who's the, who's better Mario or Sonic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but there's certain conversations that are so volatile online. Yeah. Yeah, that's that sensitive. It's hard to have a real conversation mm-hmm. because there's d- people who are acting in ways where if you have a sit-down conversation, it's not usually going to turn into a flame war if you mm-hmm. just sit down and have a real conversation with a real mm-hmm. human being. A lot of that hate and vindictive attitude that can crop up with anonymity online yeah. kind of disappears. And also maybe the people who are so angry are not the type of person who would go to a thoughtful discussion. Yeah, <laughs> But it, it is kind of more like a safe... It's funny because without 
without the anonymity, it's almost like a safer place to have a conversation mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. things like that. So I just thought it was a really good way to bring in this conversations that normally would be happening online, but having a more constructive yeah. one because there's no miscommunication of reading something and misinterpreting what the person's saying and all that yeah. kind of thing. So it's like a well, co-op talk started because we had something very similar um, a few years ago, and um, it it was kind of a program that just dropped off um and then katie yeah we didn't have a facilitator for it and then katie picked it back up because she loves reading books and she's like i want a book club and i was like i want you to have a book club (laughs) but for games let's do this (laughs) um so we ended up partnering with uh an or like a group called gaming and libraries at the university of minnesota um and we uh the way that it's run is basically that uh, Katie and Carolyn. Carolyn is the person who works with gaming and libraries. So Amy and Carolyn uh, get together and they uh, talk a little bit. Uh, well, the first one, at least, Carolyn was the first facilitator. And they talked a little bit about how, you know, the discussion was going to happen, how people were going to uh, choose topics, all of that jazz. And then... Um, Ever since then, like every single month, the facilitator changes, which is super cool because everyone has the opportunity to be a facilitator if they want to. Um, But at the end of every discussion, uh, everyone everyone writes down um, a suggestion for next month's topic. And then the person who actually uh, volunteers to be a facilitator gets to choose the topic. So, um, yeah. So even though, you know, a lot of people don't like being the facilitator, it kind of gives them this power of like, I get to choose what we talk about next month. So that's kind of appealing. (laughs) It gives them more comfort trying like leading a discussion they're familiar with. Yeah. And I know like I, I had a lot of fun, um, because they're like, I was the facilitator the next month um, and I got to choose free to play, which is something that I think is super interesting. And I remember the tagline for this one because it was mine and it was uh, free to it was uh, free to play the good, the bad, the morally ambiguous. So we just had this giant discussion on um, all of the different free to play models. what works, what doesn't work, which games are doing it well, which games are doing it poorly, and why do we feel that way? Um, It was such a cool discussion. And Hannah Murphy was the one who did uh, the social impact one this past month, and she had a ton of fun too. And I think she really, really wanted to talk about all of the Gamergate stuff. It is a really cool model too, because you specifically call it a topic so people can kind of know what to expect. And it is very much like a book club where you give Mm -hmm almost like a reading list of here's articles to read, here's Mm -hmm. games to play, here's things to look at. I think you could just show up as a person who's pretty submersed in culture like that. I could go without playing those games, reading those lists, and I still would be a part of the conversation. But if I wanted to know more or if I wasn't super confident in the topic, I Mm -hmm. could learn a lot about it before I go. Yeah, Katie and Carolyn are the, the folks that actually put together the list of stuff with the facilitator. So um, they always ask the facilitator, like, hey, are there materials that you want to show people? So if that, um, that facilitator is like, yeah, there's this video that I really love. They're like, OK, here's suggested watch. And um, there's always like a suggested reading and then there's a suggested play. So you don't have to do any of them. You could do all of them if you want to. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just kind of there. To jump in, though. But yeah, I, I really have enjoyed these a lot. And it's kind of nice to just sit down and talk to people about these issues or even 
like fun ones because Adam's doing his. So Adam Lindbergh is a graduate student at the University of Minnesota in English, and he was a TA for the um, gaming in journalism class or games in journalism class. His topic this month is uh, why why your favorite games should be ours. Yeah, it's basically asking you to defend why a game is your favorite yeah, and why other people I... should play it as well. Yeah, I think what it's going to end up being is like why people think games are great from their perspective. That's really and difficult. They need, what game do they like and why do they think it's great? One of the things that I notice with all my friends is that we are good friends but we always hate each other's games, kind of. <laughs> like my favorite games, some of my friends would never even play. And they're like, that's the worst. What are some of your favorite ones. games? Um, I consider some of my favorite games Far Cry 2 and XCOM, all of them, and Dark Souls. I've always had a thing for games that were punishingly... Difficult. Difficult. Yeah. Not not even difficult, but just punishing, but not in a painful way, I feel okay. like. It's punishing, but in an interesting way. Mm. I don't know if you've ever played Far Cry 2, but it... I've not should. played Far Cry 2. Yeah, I don't. I've I can't st- quite see why that one would be punishingly. You haven't played it then, I probably. <laughs> because I can see XCOM very It's completely easily, unlike but... Far Cry 3, 4, and 1. It was directed by Clint Hawking, which is a totally different guy who didn't do any of the other ones. But it was very punishing. Um, but it also created one of the most awesomely dangerous and immersive environments in a video game ever. And I really appreciated that. And the exact reasons that I liked it is why everyone else hates it, for instance. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyway, so anyway, so I think that's a really interesting thing, but it's hard for me to define it. And at this point, I'll be like, check out this awesome game. And they'll be like, ah, that's a Heine game. (laughs) (laughs) Because they would never, ever want to play it. So I think it'd be really interesting to go to that talk, but it would be difficult for me to quantify why. You essentially have to become a game critic. Yeah, yeah. I know, like, for for myself, too, it was really hard to, um, like, I, I actually read it and I was like, wow, I don't know what I'd say because games for me are kind of my social, like, they are a social thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so single player like RPGs, I don't play very often. And that's kind of like a lot of people that I hang out with play single player RPGs. And I just don't, I have to be playing something with someone. Well, that's fine though. Then you're whatever facilitates friendship. The best <laughs> is, you know, what... yeah. And that's why I end up playing a lot of like multiplayer games. It's just, how I'm wired and I, I like the social interaction with people and some others like it because it's, you know, similar to a movie where they just sit back and kind of like watch the story be told. Yeah. I don't think like any of them are better than the other, but I think it's, it's very cool to see why others play games and why they play the games that they do. Mm -hmm. So it should be a really interesting talk. Where are you going from here? Are you just going to jump right into GlitchCon and Welcome Geek? Or are you trying to expand out with more flagship programs or just kind of making the ones ones you have bigger and better and more successful every year? I think the main thing we're trying to focus on right now is establishing a permanent space for our organization where we aren't renting out a space on campus for every event, especially like our recurring events like co-op doc. We'd have, we'd like to have a space where we can have that dedicated area where people come and have the event. They also, it's a community space. uh, So people can just like come in and play games. 
There's other goals. You can go into the educational stuff if you'd like. Yeah. <laughs> so the center, it's a big goal. Uh, the the thing is that we've been working on this for probably like three years now. And the problem has never really been funding, which is hilarious. Funding has never really been the problem. And we really, really want wanted for the longest time a space on campus in a campus building. And the reason for that being accessibility is very easy for people to um, get to. It's very easy for students specifically to get to. And we already do something very similar to that called Weekly Lounge, basically just a community space where people are able to come in, rent out things like consoles or controllers or games and such like that. And it's just kind of like this community center where they can come meet other people, come enjoy games that they enjoy or come enjoy games that they like. And also this past year, we um, expanded that to um, include another room, which is basically like a work room where people are working on uh, projects and people are working on like games together, which is super cool to see that. Obviously, there are a lot less people in that room, (laughs) Um, but it's still very cool to start seeing, you know, even like four or five people in that room just kind of like working on stuff together because we also now provide like a couple of tools on our computers and PCs and such. But we want that to be available more regularly because the university has invested a ton of money into getting us equipment to basically use in this space and for our activities. Mm -hmm. But primarily, like we're using it once a week, like it's being used, like all of the equipment is being used roughly once a week. And unless we have like large scale events or unless we have, you know, other fun things going on, um, I we personally think it's a giant waste of, you know, their investment if students and um, the greater community even don't get to use this like five days out of the week. Right. Because lounge is only open 10 hours every Friday. But why not more hours per week? Like we can definitely do that. But the issue has been we cannot for the life of us get space allocated to us. Which is crazy considering how many people we serve space and how many students we serve. Campus, though. Yeah, it, uh, space on campus gets very political. We work with a lot of different professors and faculty and departments, but we just have not been able to get space allocated to us. So that's been kind of like our biggest hurdle, issue yeah. and hurdle. So this pa- this year, we basically decided like, okay, well, since this is going to take so long, we do not have the time for it. We can't talk to any more people for you on know campus, years on, yeah. on end. Um, so we are basically kind of right now looking at a space um, that is very close or within like walking distance to the university all around like campus to kind of build the center. And we're asking the university to also fund that, which is going to be very interesting to see how they feel about it. It's traditionally been done for a couple of others so not only will it be basically like a community center but the plan for it has been to potentially create like an incubator program for people to basically create games with the center Um, and we'll have basically people on staff to help them through the process and uh, the other kind of for sustainability purposes of that center is to also house uh, like local indie devs, like a um, co-op, co-op space, yeah, yeah, a co-op space. So we would be able to have like a couple of tables for those uh, indie devs to work and a couple of those tables reserved for students that are a part of the incubator program so that they can also be actively involved with um, other developers locally. Well, but that is like the big goal. That's pretty big. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. First 2015 glitch. <laughs> 
lounge. No, wait, what should it be called? We were going to call it the Games Cultural Center. That's at least what's been talked about for right in now. Grants, yeah. And in grants. That's a very um, much more uh, <laughs> academic name. Today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, like with the U, it'd be hard yeah. to set like a game center. Yeah. Like if we submitted that, they're like, oh. I mean, that that. doesn't really represent what it's doing either, though. So um, and then if our pilot project goes well, probably within like, I would say five to eight years, potentially expanding the program and the projects to other universities. Um, So that's kind of like long term goal. Um, This is kind of like the pilot project is here in Minnesota. That's awesome. I mean, that's an ambitious plan. When I asked that, I was like, maybe you'd be like, we're going to start a night on Tuesdays or something. <laughs> but that's way more ambitious. And that's really cool. I think um, a lot of projects, it's hard to like think that far in the future. So you guys seem like you're definitely thinking yeah. about it. Hard. The grants make us do it. I'm just kidding. No. I mean, that, is... that actually helps. I yeah. mean, like applying for grants, I think actually helps us conceptualize a lot about what we're doing. And Um, when we started applying for internal university grants, that helped a lot. Um, and I think instead of, um, when at first we were just like, oh, this is a lot of work, but uh, looking back on it, it It helps you plan plan a ton and it helps you, um, kind of think big picture on why people should invest in the things that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, and really understanding what your your goals are and why it's going to make an impact and why yeah. people should put money into it. Especially like initially, it was very difficult to convince the university to do anything with games. Like they saw it as, like you said, like a bunch of people sitting in a room, just not looking at each other, playing mm-hmm. games. So it was hard for them to conceptualize why they would fund any sort of gaming related event. Yeah, and then throughout the years that we've been involved, like they the university has changed pretty drastically in my opinion it's still not where we want it to be but for example like goldie's game room did a complete remodel um it's in the basement of kaufman memorial union and it used to just have a ton of pool tables and they actually reached out to us um a couple of years ago when they were going to remodel it and said hey we want to have games involved with this game room um like we want video games involved somehow how do we do this? Would you be our consult? Awesome. <laughs> so that's really cool. And then also we've been consulted on a ton of other projects since then, um, such as uh, like Seth's, Seth Lewis's class, um, the game games journalism. Yeah, the games journalism class. We were really heavily involved with um, the curriculum and curriculum design, which was super cool. And also we uh, were able to help out with IAS's upcoming event, like the video games, or sorry, the gender identity and video games discussion. I don't know. It's just been a yeah. lot of, we it's like been a lot of fun. It's been fun to work with a lot of different people this year. Sounds like you guys are up to some big things, so it's super <laughs> cool. Um, and I was going to ask you, it sound, I think you answered it though. I was going to ask, you know, like you do a lot for the community, but what do you get personally out of it? But I think you might have already answered that. Do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, I mean, what do you get from it, Nick? I don't know. Throughout the years, <laughs> I've, I've learned a lot about like what I enjoy as well. Um, like I've gotten to dabble in web development. I've gotten to host. I put events. you on everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I kind of got to explore like how I could go into the gaming industry. Um, and that kind of motivated me to go back to school for educational psych where i'm studying how people learn in games since i have a background in like research and research methodology i think for me um there's a couple of different things like one 
I I definitely get to work within the industry the way that I want to. Because right now, um, there are very few positions out there that get to do what I get to do. And it's really rare. Um, I that there was uh, an interview like last 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 March. I almost took a job um, last March uh, with a fairly large company that works on um, building like these college communities, um, and uh, with video games. And it was kind of like I was asked one question, and that question was, "How do you um, anticipate like monetizing?" this program or the things that you're doing with this program um, and uh, kind of like how do you measure that this program is successful and it's so different than any other grants that I've ever written and I knew my, my I knew my answer but it kind of struck me at that moment where I was like I don't know if this is going to be the right fit for me because the way that nonprofits measure success and the way that a business, an LLC measures success is so drastically different. The way that we get to measure success through our nonprofit is basically how many more studios get, are are going to pop up? How many students um, actually get to go in the industry after going through our program? Uh, Is the community actually benefiting? Yes. Whereas, you know, like asking about monetization is completely different. Although we obviously need to make money, (laughs) We're not going to, like, with everything, you have to make money. But, like, asking if the specific program that I was working on, how I'm going to monetize that was just kind of like, oh, that that really is what this is about. And it kind of shook me where I was like, okay, this is probably not going to be the best fit. So I I realized that, like, this is something that I get to do and this is something that I love. And then something else that I also get to do, too, is uh, working with students and working with people who I kind of identify with where I was also kind of like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do in games. And I get to kind of help students and um, people within the community help them kind of identify that as well. So I kind of get to see myself all over again and help them kind of reach um, this realization of where they want to go and what they want to do, who they want to be um, through through like glitch programming. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just that like satisfaction of helping others in a problem area where I also used to have that. <laughs> I guess like what it comes down to is I've I've personally found social and financial success here and I want to help others do the same. All right. Well, we've talked a lot about <laughs> a lot of different things. We haven't talked a ton about video games. So really quickly, why don't you just tell me your top one or two or three games? <sighs> top one or two or three games. Okay. I really, ugh, this sounds really stupid, but I really, really, really like Machinarium. It's beautiful. I don't, have you played it, Chris? Have you I seen have, it? Yeah, yep. Okay. So it's a point and click puzzle game. I just have this love for, for the little robot. Um, <laughs> He is adorable. He's so kind of ugly, adorable. Yeah, (laughs) just like Twink. (laughs) Adorable. That's a great way to put it. But like, I I really love kind of like this just super playful light storyline, which is crazy because I said earlier that I like doing things socially. Um, But Nick and I were playing that together. Like, I can't even play single player games by myself. So we were trying to like solve the puzzle together. That's probably like one of my favorite games. And then I play a lot of League of Legends. I don't know if it's my favorite game, but I play a lot of it. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if it's your favorite know. game. I can't answer that for you. I, I You're looking know. at me like you want me to answer. No, it's, it's like, 
considering how many hours I put into it, it probably should be like. But the Diablo series too. Yeah, you have oh, more on know. Diablo, I think. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. See, I hate this question, but I love it at the same time. Well, that's time. a good answer. I mean, those are three games that obviously you I have invest a, time in. I do. <laughs> like, I have most time investment. Games. I have like over seven hundred hours clocked on each of them. Wow. On on Wait, those Machinarium. No, not Machinarium. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think like when the beta for Diablo three came out, I had um, I had I think over like a hundred. Wait, hours you're talking about out. Diablo three. Not Diablo one and two. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not. It's only Diablo three. Only Diablo three. Yeah, wow. only Diablo three. Okay. I was like, a Diablo is a series. Okay, three hundred or seven hundred. Yeah, hours. no. I think we probably put in D two. We put in maybe like I don't know. Not 20, thirty. No, that's not true because we've played that game so many times with so many different people, starting all maybe over like and over again. It pales in comparison to your D three. <sighs> time. I was hoping that it would change. I was I was hoping I, Diablo three is like the boyfriend that you had in high school that you'd hope he'd change. Seven hundred hours is like <laughs> not a boyfriend. That's like a soulmate. That's <laughs> like four lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm ashamed of my hours on certain games. Um, I guess I still haven't answered this, um, but I also you did kind of. I also really like Journey. I never even played it. No, I watched it play. Journey's awesome. Yeah, yeah, like I've never even played it, but I've watched it play the whole way through and i was like that was really sad like i was really satisfied even though i didn't play the game that's how it is i mean i play a lot of games with like francesca or Lindsay watching and journey we played and i played through journey with one person the entire way okay and it doesn't you don't know that until the end and at the end I felt like we knew each other and like Lindsay was crying and all sorts of things. And we just sat there and the credits rolled and I saw it was just one dude or whatever. And and he had kind of a silly name. It was funny. It was one of those moments where you're like, this is a poetic moment. And then it was like, it wasn't super, it wasn't like Mm. smoke boy 420 or something like that. But it was kind (laughs) of like, it was kind of a goofy name. And then I was like, I don't know, should I send this guy a message or something? Yeah. And, and I just, was like, I don't know. We just kind of had a moment or something. Mm. And then yeah. and then he sent, right when I was saying that to Lindsay and Francesca, he sent me a message. And he said something like, love you, bro, or something. Aww. And I went send one, and I said, I love you, too. And then that that's, was, and that's so the last sweet. time I ever talked yeah. to that guy, too. But, but it's still very journey. sweet. But it was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Journey's awesome, yeah. Anyways, right. Nick, you're Nick. up. Uh, so the first game I really got into... Um, and put a ton of time into it was Battlefield 1942. And I played in like clans and boo. no, I'm not boo. I said ooh. Is <laughs> I, know. I know you said ooh, but I'm saying boo because shooting things. I'm I don't kidding. Know. It was I'm kidding. it was playing with like the same ten people and like practicing and getting ready for matches and winning and losing as a team, which was very fun. That hasn't happened since with like any other game. So that's a very unique experience yeah. and a game that I've really enjoyed. Battlefield. Bad Company 2 was that for me. I could see that. There has never been one that matched it. No. And it was just like this magical. And me and my friends are still like, remember? Nostalgic remember about Bad it. Company yeah. 2? Remember that day? <laughs> remember Diablo 2? Well, like, we'll be playing a game joylessly and we'll just be like, remember that? We'll never have that again. Anyway. So I get that bad. No, yeah. That's very similar. Another one would be... Uh, it was the horror game, the Slender. Oh, oh so God. Like, <laughs> You're I ridiculous. Had a ton of fun playing that game with you do like, like small horror groups games. of games, small groups of people, and just getting like, like I can turn everything off else off my brain and just be scared as hell. 
And I really enjoy that feeling. I hate that feeling. <laughs> I like that feeling. I remember one of, okay, so we do this thing every Halloween called Gaming Theater of Doom. And we we basically rotate who plays a specific game and mm-hmm. we rotate the games too throughout the night. You just scream. And yeah. I remember like distinctly like <laughs> um, Stephen McGregor was like, why? This is terrible. Why do we do this every year? And he was like in the corner on his computer. He was like no, laying, he was down. laying down in the back of the room at one point. <laughs> He was like, why do we do this? And there's always like 40 or 50 people that show up too. And they watch you. You usually go first, play a scary game, and you scream Scream lots. Set the tone. (laughs) I would think with 40 or 50 people, you'd be a lot less scared. No. We got a game. You're less scared for sure. But then when everyone screams, you scream. So then it gets kind of scarier. There's a a crowd effect. Those would be two of like my most recent favorite games papers please was also very interesting the mechanics did get a little tedious but i really enjoyed caring about my family and trying to figure out the different endings and choosing which faction to like align myself with Mm -hmm. so that was another enjoyable experience for me that's kind of one of those like painfully that's kind of a heiny game (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i got into like being the the border patrol I don't know. It wasn't bad checking the papers at some point. But it's it's almost like a game that is not fun in its adherence to realistic because sure. you're just like yeah. stamping paperwork and yep. it's almost like a puzzle game kind of. But yeah, yeah. It is just like paperwork the game. Mm-hmm. It but, is paperwork the game, <laughs> which I still enjoyed. <laughs> it is, it's a good game. I like that game too. Okay. We're probably so boring. We're like the most boring people for video games. No, well, it, it would have been boring if you would have been like, well, it's Call of Duty and... Assassin's wow. Creed. No. <laughs> Sorry if you, anybody listening likes all those games because whatever. Anyway, thanks for joining us, you guys. Thank uh, you if, for inviting if, us. if people want to learn more, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, everywhere. No, I'm just kidding. We're everywhere. not there yet. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you can find our like the Glitch website at www.glitch.mn. Um, if you want more information about GlitchCon, that's glitchcon.mn. Gamecraft, Gamecraft.mn, Gamecraft.mn, everything is .mn. And then um, our Facebook is, uh, our Facebook page is just slash GlitchMN. Same with our Twitter, mm-hmm. at GlitchMN. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty easy to find us. Just cool. GlitchMN for now. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for inviting <laughs> us. It was fun. Thanks again to Ava and Nicholas for talking with us, and thanks for to you guys for um, listening to our conversation today. A couple things that you should know. Uh, we are going to have a new list of game nights coming up here pretty shortly. Take a look at the Facebook page, which is where, Chris? It is facebook.com slash lightgrayartlab. You should be able to see those pop up pretty quickly. So if you want to participate in some of these nights where we have everybody over, play some games, that would be a good place to look. We also are going to have a couple new calls for art. Jenny and I have been working really hard on trying to get those out. So if you want to participate in some of the upcoming exhibitions, there should be a new one or two of those that pop up in the next week or so. Where else can people find us, Chris, if they want to know what's going on? Well, if you want to watch for the calls for art, the best place is probably the blog, which is blog.lightgrayartlab.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at lightgrayartlab, and we respond quickly and efficiently to efficiently. everyone. Efficiently. It has yes. to be efficient, I think. Yeah, that's the point of Twitter. And then we also are on Facebook, like I said. Give us a like there and stay up to date. Follow us on Tumblr. We're at lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. And you can subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store or stream it directly from Stitcher Radio. 
Thanks again, you guys, for listening to us this week, and we will talk with you soon. I was waiting for you to say game zone again. <laughs> Let me say game zone one more time before we hear from Ava and Nicholas. Uh, so get ready to be in the game zone. Welcome back from the game zone. Welcome back. Wasn't the game zone fun? That was a good fun zone to be in. So <laughs> from the game zone. From the bone zone. No.